Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Jajawarong and the Wadawarong people of the Eastern Kulin Nation and we wish to acknowledge them as traditional owners. We would also like to pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening. Hello and welcome to Chick's Tree, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the whip. Uh-oh, maybe one of those ones. <laughs> Like, yeah, I've got to do all the talking. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Chickstree, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the women that were written out of them. My name is Annie and we're joined by the lovely, delightful, very tanned Phoebe. Hello. Yes, it's me. Hello, me. Hello, hello. Good to see you. Good to see you. What have you been you up too? to? Oh, just trying to get back into, you know, work. I'm still wringing out all the mojitos from holidays. Yes. Um, but, you know. It's difficult, isn't it, to get back into the swing yeah. of things. A routine. A routine. The routine. Mm. Yeah. Um, speaking of holidays, I thought I'd give you a little um, – book reco that I read whilst I was away. Please do, yes. So it's called Codename Helene or Helene by Ariel Lawhon, L-A-W-H-O-N. It is historical fiction but it's about uh, Nancy Wake, so the white mouse. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really good, really good because I haven't read a lot about her. You know, obviously I know little bits and pieces and, you know, it's not. 100% 100% factual, but it was really interesting. So if you're looking for a good read, yeah, nice. um, highly recommend. Yeah. Was that one you did? No, that was before, that was an Evie. That was an Evie one. Yeah, yeah an Evie ep. Um, but, yes, up there, very much enjoyed. So nice yes. one. Read yeah. away. Oh, I've got such a bad habit at the moment of I've got about four books on the go and I just – I just can't seem to get into any mm. of them. You know, I'm just not. I don't. I know. get like that, and sometimes I have to put it because I can only read one book at a time. I know people that can have a couple on, and they read a couple at a time. I can only read one at a time, but sometimes you just can't get your brain into latching onto a book. Yeah. And if that's yeah. me, I used to. I used to plough through and say, I have to finish this book. And all I thought was, you know, these authors just put their blood, sweat and tears into it. But now if I can't get into it, I'm like, life's too short to read books you're not enjoying. doesn't mean they're bad. True. They're just on everyone's cup cup of tea. True, true. Mm. Yeah, I feel like we've had this conversation before. But, yeah, it's true. I think, um, yeah, life is too short for mm. to read crappy books and exactly. to watch crappy movies and crappy TV shows. Exactly. You know, I'm just like, anyway. but. I, I've discovered something amazing mm-hmm. um, in that my memory is so bad because I, I, I think I'm coming into perimenopause, which is great. Um, <laughs> yay. <laughs> yay for me. And so I'm just forgetting, like, you know, I forget things anyway and I've always been a for, like – Someone will say, oh, do you remember that movie and that thing, that line, and I'll just – and I will will not remember it. It'll be like it's never happened before and, and, you know, it's completely fallen out of my head. So I thought 
what if I go back and like rewatched series that I loved because I loved them for a reason mm. and I can't remember any of it. So it's like I'm just re-watching it for the first time. Amazing. So I've started Enlighten, Enlightenment. It's um, restarted it. I've watched it already. I've watched it all already. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's the first Amazing. time I'm watching it. <laughs> and it's got Laura Dern in it and it's written by – the guy who wrote White Lotus. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say his name's Mike. Mike but White? Don't know. Mike. It is Mike. Mm. Hey, Siri, who wrote White Lotus? The series was created, written and directed by Mike White. There you go. Good one. Mike White. There you go. Uh, yeah, so it's really... It's it's funny and sad and and sometimes really hard to watch cuz Laura Dern is kind of the the lead character and she just she thinks that everything she goes away on like a spiritual retreat after having a bit of a breakdown at work and um she gets demoted and moves back in with her mom but tries to keep positive and everything's all good and you know but it, the her world around her is just kind of falling falling down and it's quite sad but yeah highly recommend i think it's on binge mm-hmm. excellent love it love a record do you have a historical fact for us today yes i do i'm actually calling it uh this week an historical funny not a Ooh, historical fact like mm, but it is a fact <laughs> it's just a bit of a lol mm. oh i love a lol go for it. <laughs> okay so i've been doing some research into illegitimacy in the 18th and 19th century in england and i came across um this which i thought you and our listeners may enjoy and get a bit of a giggle out of so there are many factors and theories as to illegitimacy levels throughout history and some of those revolve around religion, what might have been happening in a community or country at the time and the availability of vices so such as alcohol and the increased number of alehouses or pubs as we know them uh, and it mostly had a lot to do with sin. You know, you were a sinner. Of course. Yeah. Uh, however, at times during the 18th and 19th century, Scotland had doubled the rate of illegitimacy of England at comparable times, despite having a population that was renowned for its temperance and chastity. Oh. So this was put down to the fact that the Scots consumed a great deal of oatmeal and this was said to inflame the passions. <gasps> no way. Mm-hmm. So bowl of porridge? Oh, my yep. goodness. <laughs> that brings a whole new meaning to that ad. Remember that? That's nor how you make footage. <laughs> Are you ready? Okay. I'm going to tell you today about a woman named Annie Cohen Kobchowski, also known as Annie Londonderry. Oh, love it. Love, love, love it. it. Love it. Annie Cohen was born in Latvia in 1870 to Levi and Beatrice Cohen. Annie was the youngest of three of Levi and Beatrice's children who were all born in Latvia, followed by three more siblings born once the family had moved to the United States when Annie was about five years old. Upon their arrival to America, the Cohens settled in Boston, Massachusetts, where they moved into tenement housing, where the diaspora was gradually morphing from a largely Irish settlement to a growing population of Jews from Russia, Poland and other parts of Eastern Europe. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like we do a lot of stories out of Massachusetts. Yes, same. <laughs> I think we remember it because it's Massachusetts. It's really hard to say. It's hard to say. <laughs> In January 1887, when Annie was only 16 years old, her father Levi died. Then tragedy struck the family again when two months later her mother Beatrice also passed away. At the time of their parents' death, Sarah, the eldest of the Cohen children, had already married and left the family home, which left Annie and her 20-year-old brother Bennett to care for their three younger siblings who were 8, 9 and 10 years old when their parents died. Dear. Shortly after the death of their parents, both Annie and Bennett married and they each brought their respective spouses to all live in the tenement they had shared with their family. I thought we were going to say they married each other. I know. What? No, they did not. They married other people. Other, they are, yes, definitely other people. Definitely other people. Got it. It's not one of those podcasts. Thank you. Mm. In 1888, when Annie was about 18 years old, she married Simon, also known as Max Kopchowski, a peddler by trade. So a peddler or a hawker, as you may know them, was someone who sold conveniences door to door and often operated alongside market vendors where they often purchased their surplus stock and then sold on to customers who did not or could not frequent the markets for their needs. Peddlers often distributed goods to more geographically isolated areas and communities. In the United States during the 19th century, peddling was often the occupation of immigrant communities such as Italians, Greeks and Jews. It's unclear, however, it seems unlikely that Max would have travelled too far from his community to peddle his wares. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's where a peddler came from. Mm. Common, a common word that we use, peddler. You're mm. peddling, peddling your snake oil. Annie and Max started their family almost immediately after they married and within four years they had had three children. In June 1894, six years after their marriage and with three children, the youngest only two years old, Annie saw an opportunity and accepted a bet. Two unnamed Boston businessmen wagered $20,000 against $10,000 that no woman could travel around the world on a bicycle in 15 months. Stop it. Mm. Seems like a strange, like 15 months. It's very strange. Why? Okay, I'm fascinated. (laughs) This same feat had been accomplished by an English man named Thomas Stevens between 1884 and 1896 when he rode a penny farthing bicycle around the world. How long did it take him? Um, it took him 15 months. Oh, so that's right. That's why. So Annie was an unlikely choice for the bet, considering she was Jewish and anti-Semitism was widespread at the time. She also had three young children and absolutely no experience riding a bike. In fact, she'd only started riding a bike a few days before her trip. Just oh, cutting it fine. <laughs> Jesus. And was it a bike bike or was it a, one of those silly bikes? No, it was a bike bike. Mm. Okay, with that. Mm. She was also slighter build, only five foot three and weighed about 45 kilos. None of those factors were going to stop her and she took the bet. However, one caveat to the wager was that to win the money, she had to set out on her journey penniless, earn $5,000 above her expenses along the way and finish her trip within that 15 months of her departure. Therefore, sponsorship was absolutely crucial to complete her journey and win the money. And twenty thousand dollars—that's like that's a lot of money in the eighteen nineties. That's a lot of money now. 
Annie, at only 24 years old, departed Boston on the 25th of June, 1894, on a 42-pound, or almost 20-kilo, bike, which was almost half of her weight, wearing a long skirt, corset and high collar, carrying a change of clothes and carrying a pearl-handled pistol. From the first day, needing money and showing her resourcefulness, she hung a placard from her bike advertising London Dairy Lithia Spring Water Company in return for $100. In addition, she agreed to be known as Annie London Dairy for the remainder of her trip. Wow. Mm. That's like one of the earliest kind of influencer sponsorship deals. Yeah, yep. So she was ingenious, Amazing. really. Amazing. Yeah. So she was on her way. The popularity of cycling had exploded during the 1890s and with the new mass production of bikes, it allowed men to begin commuting to work. This mass production had also been significant for women as for the first time they had been afforded some freedom from the restrictions of a homebound existence and provided them with a respectable form of independent transportation. Not only this, the bicycle was very much a part of the early women's movement. Suffragist Susan B. Anthony said in an interview with Nellie Bly for the New York World newspaper in 1896 that she thought that bicycling had done more to emancipate women than anything else in the world. I stand and rejoice every time I see a woman ride by on a wheel. It gives a woman a feeling of freedom and self-reliance. It makes her feel as if she were independent. The moment she takes a seat, she knows she can't get into harm unless she gets off her bicycle and away she goes. The picture of free, untrammeled womanhood. Great. And it's not something that I had ever considered. No, I know. I just only thought about that just now for the very Mm. first time. It would have allowed them freedom and safety. Mm. That's right. Even, you know, things like instead of walking to the store to get whatever provisions they needed you know you've you've cut your time in half or a quarter by doing that and you know being able to yeah ride at any time of day I suppose as well too yeah exactly Hmm. so not only was cycling giving women a sense of freedom in being able to escape their day-to-day demands it also led to changes in women's dress For example, bloomers were replacing large, unwieldy and inconvenient skirts. So that's when bloomers, so bloomers um, are sort of like three-quarter pants, I suppose, with elasticated under the knee. Like knickerbockers. They are, yes, exactly. Annie set out on her bike in her corset and skirts for Chicago, where she chose cycling routes which had been published in tour books by the League of American Wheelmen and contained distances, road conditions, landmarks, places to eat and places to stay that offered cyclists discounts. She also had good weather and conditions on her side and she was able to cycle about 12 to 16 kilometres per day, which isn't a lot, but would struggle cycling. she's in like skirt, corset, and on this huge bike that was not made for a woman. Yeah, yeah. So you need to take all those things into consideration. Even, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's pretty good. I mean, I would be absolutely knackered if I even thought about riding 12 kilometres a day. I don't know. (laughs) And the bike, yeah, the bike's heavy. She's tiny Mm. as well. And those roads. I mean, yeah, no, not made yeah. roads. They would have been dirt and yeah, yeah. they're not they're not like bitumen or like mm. smooth, um, nice, you know, um, surfaces. So good on her. Good on her. I'm already impressed. <laughs> she arrived in Chicago three months later and had lost about nine kilos, as well as the desire to continue her journey. And really, do you blame her? 
So by the time she arrived in Chicago, winter was approaching and she realised that she would not be able to make it across the mountains to San Francisco before it began snowing. However, prior to leaving Chicago to return home to Boston, she met with the Sterling Cycle Works who changed her bicycle. The new bike now weighed half of what she'd been riding. Then with her change of bicycle and a change of clothes, she was rocking the bloomers now and even men's pants controversial Mm. and he was determined to complete her world trip she only had 11 months left to make it around the world and back to chicago to complete the journey and win the bet annie turned around from chicago and followed the route she had taken from boston and made her way to new york where she boarded a ship destined for la havre on the north coast of france where she arrived on the 3rd of december 1894 It was not all smooth sailing. Upon entry, when she became stuck in red tape with the French customs officials who confiscated her bike and her money. Not only did she contend with this, but when the French press happened upon her trip and began writing insulting articles about her appearance. Of course. I know. Of course. Ridiculous. Because, yeah, they've got nothing else to say, so she looks stupid. She eventually broke through the French bureaucracy and away from the press and rode from Paris to Marseille, which is about 847 kilometres according to Google Maps riding your bike right now at this time. That's insane. Depends on which route she went, but wow, wow. Wow, that's Mm. insane. In France, she earned money by carrying advertising on her clothing and bicycle as she rode the main streets of Marseille and other cities. Later in her trip, she would also give lectures about her adventures, which she seemingly embellished with lurid details of accidents, near-death experiences, and narrowly averted dangers. Throughout her time in France and the remainder of her trip, she told amazing stories of being waylaid by bandits in France, being hunted by Bengal tigers in India, and even travelled to the front lines of the Sino-Japanese War, where she was shot in the shoulder. She also claimed at various times to be a Harvard medical student, a lawyer, an orphan, that much was technically true, the founder of a newspaper, an accountant, and even a wealthy heiress. It is actually unlikely that any of these events happened or had any grain of truth to them, but to make money she also signed and sold souvenirs and gave exhibitions of bicycling during her stops. Despite being held up by bad weather in France, she made the trip in about two weeks by cycling and travelling by train and with one foot bandaged and propped up on the handlebars due to an injury received on the ride. Annie eventually departed France with great fanfare. There was reportedly a crowd of thousands as well as a drum and bugle corps to send her off. By the time she departed, she only had eight months to make it back to Chicago. So it's interesting to note that the wager did not stipulate a minimum cycling distance and therefore Annie completed lots of the distance by sailing from place to place and then completing day trips at each stop along the way as well as supplementing her travel by taking trains and ferries from time to time. So it seems that she probably covered more distance using boats and trains than actually riding her bike. Okay, but that's all right. That's just but that's okay. Fine that's all right. She still did it. From France, she made her way to East Asia with brief stops in Egypt, Sri Lanka and Singapore. After a tour through China and Hong Kong, she was in Japan by March and visited places such as Nagasaki and Kobe. On the 23rd of March, 1895, Annie arrived back in the United States when she sailed through San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge and over the next six months, she made her way across America to reach Chicago. Over those six months, she rode through Los Angeles, through Arizona and New Mexico onto El Paso, where at one time she and another cyclist were almost killed by a runaway horse and wagon. Oh, Jesus. 
They had received only minor injuries, yet she claimed that she'd been knocked out and taken to hospital where she coughed up blood for two days. She had, in fact, given a lecture in a local hall the evening after the accident, so she did like to embellish a story or two. Yeah, that's all right. We like Um, it. Exactly, bit of drama. But let me tell you, I've also Google mapped the route that she supposedly took and it is definitely not the most direct. So yeah, right, okay. It seems odd. But anyway, that's that's just how it was. Maybe they would that was the most appropriate way to go. Okay. So Annie rode across the finish line two weeks ahead of schedule and arrived in Chicago on the twelfth of September eighteen ninety five. Close to the end of her trip, she broke her wrist when she crashed into a drove of pigs and was forced to wear a cast on her arm for the last leg of her ride. Neat. <laughs> So close. Upon her arrival back to Chicago, she collected her $10,000 prize and was back at home in Boston by the 24th of September. She published her exploits in an article in the New York World on the 20th of October, 1895, which was headlined, The Most Extraordinary Journey Ever Taken by a Woman, under the byline Nellie Bly Jr. It's unclear why she decided to do that, decided to have the byline Nellie Bly Jr., but anyway... I did a an episode on Nellie Bly mm. who tried to break the world record or for travelling around the world. So she must see similarities with Yeah, herself. just thought it was, and, you know, jump um, on that bandwagon. Yeah, for sure. So despite her mammoth efforts, she did receive criticism that she travelled more with her bike rather than on her bike. The New York Times also reported on her return with a straight-to-the-point article which read, Boston. September 24, Miss Annie Londonderry arrived in this city this morning after a trip around the world on a bicycle. Miss Londonderry is nursing a broken arm, the result of a bad fall sustained in one of the western towns. On June 26, 1894, she started on her trip around the world. She was given a good send-off by several hundred friends who were at the state house where the start was made. Her trip, she says, was made upon a wager. She was to receive $10,000 if she finished the journey in 15 months and she feels proud of the record she has made. On Thursday, 12th of September, the journey came to an end in Chicago, 14 days ahead of the time allowed. In addition to the purse of $10,000, which she says was handed over by the parties making the wager, Miss Londonderry also accumulated $5,000 from lectures given in several countries and also by participating in exhibitions of bicycle riding. So Annie's fame and celebrity lingered throughout her amazing feat, however, was very short-lived once she returned to her life at home in Boston. Once she returned to her family, she never again made bicycling an important part of her life. (laughs) She and her husband, Max, had a fourth child two years after she returned home before she left home again for California, where she worked for a time as a saleswoman. She returned to her family, who were now living in the Bronx and operating a small clothing business, which was destroyed by fire in the 1920s. Using the insurance money, Annie and Max established another business in Manhattan. Annie Kopchowski died in her 70s in November 1947, now living a life of somewhat obscurity. Her husband Max had predeceased her the year prior. But throughout her escapade across the world on a bike, Annie had told tall tales and for most of her trip she had kept the fact that she had a husband and children a secret. So it was just... Crazy, and because I, I was going to say, she did all of that after having three children. Yes, three children at home. Husband. Yep, and, and the youngest was two. So you know, it was bless the husband. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say this, but letting her do that but yeah. at the time, you know, that would have been like crazy talk. And considering he was 
like a door-to-door salesman. So I imagine there would have extended family would have stepped in the community I would say yeah absolutely yeah so she was as I mentioned known as Miss Annie Londonderry throughout that time it is also unclear whether anyone witnessed her receive the $10,000 prize money but it seems unlikely that they did as it has since been refuted by Annie's great great nephew Peter Zutlin who wrote and brought Annie's little known or little remembered story even within their own family, uh, to life in his book called Around the World on Two Wheels, Annie Londonderry's Extraordinary Ride. So Peter says there was actually no such bet and that she'd made her journey out of a desire for fame, excitement and independence that her conventional societal role had denied her. Peter said that she loved telling stories, she loved having a story to tell and she loved representing women as being entrepreneurial as men. Oh, my God. I love her even more now. It's crazy. Completely made up this story. Amazing. That she didn't do it for the money. She just did it for the sake of it, Mm. saying that, you know, making a a stance against. That's right. So I imagine that she took home the $5,000, so from the, you know, the lecture she gave, et cetera. But, yeah, there was no other money. Oh my goodness, Annie, you tricked us all. You trick, you trickster, you little trickster. But I love it. I know, amazing. And you should say, I'll put up on the gram some photos of her on the bike. So yes. some great photos. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we're talking. What were we talking? Eighteen hundred. Eighteen nineties. Yeah. Late nineteenth century. Mm. Bloody heck! I know. Incredible. Well, thank you for that. Uh, we did it again. We did. Oh, we've because we're coming to a bit of a, an end of our of of this season, and I've got. I think I've only got one more record to do actually, <gasps> and I've got so many women. I know. We're gonna have to come back for another season. We're gonna have to come back again, season seven. Um, but. Yeah, I've got so many women that I just don't know who to choose for my final, for my final one. But it's um, hard. It's really hard to um, yeah, because there are so many incredible women. So many, mm. so so many. So anyway, I'll be back next week with with my final story for this season, and uh, yeah, look yeah. forward to getting into your ears then. Rate, review, like, do the things. Follow us on the gram. All the things. All the things. See you, bye.